0: Welcome to EdView 360. There's 50 years of research on the components of explicit instruction and the overall look at explicit instruction and its related instructional pedagogies, such as direct instruction and mastery learning, and uh, consistently the results are high for the components and the totality in terms of student learning. So it matters. It matters because it works. It matters because it makes a difference. It matters because it creates equity, opportunities for all students to learn at their highest level.
1: You just heard Dr. Anita Archer. Dr. Archer is a renowned literacy expert and author of The Rewards Intervention Solution. Dr. Archer is our guest today on EdView 360. This is Pam Austin. Welcome back to the EVU 360 podcast series. We are so excited to have you back with us. I'm conducting today's podcast from my native New Orleans, channeling the heart of Voyager Sopus Learning in Dallas, Texas. Today, we are honored to have with us literacy expert Dr. Anita Archer. Hello, Dr. Archer. I'm so glad to be with you. Oh, welcome. We are so happy to have you here today. You are very accomplished and most. Definitely a literacy expert. Would you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved with education? Now, the fact that I am almost 74 years
0: old is a long history. So probably I became interested in teaching as a child. Uh, My family moved to seven different communities before I was 18 uh, and lived in 14 different houses. And that meant many, many schools. And my sort of uh, sanctuary in my life was school, and I adored my teachers. So I already had my eye on it. Uh, And then I did. I grew up in the state of Washington, and I did what every good D.C. child did. That was my maiden name, is that you go to University of Washington and you be a very good Husky. Uh, And while I was an undergraduate, I was a research assistant to Tom Lovett. Uh, a beloved researcher in education and in special education. Uh, And of course, that made me even more interested. So when I graduated, I got my master's there um, before I started teaching. And you know, life is full of opportunities. Uh, And I had an opportunity at 26 uh, to be an acting assistant uh, professor at University of Washington upon the death of a Professor there. So I got an early start in teaching teachers, uh, went on to, uh, not only teach there and, and get my doctorate at University of Washington, but go to University of Oregon, go ducks, uh, and then to San Diego State University. Uh, and then after teaching in universities for many years, uh, I uh, then chose to spend my time writing curriculum materials like rewards for Voiture Sopris, as well as other materials and consults. And so I have spent the last, oh, my goodness, 30 years consulting in education. So I've had a long history uh, and uh, a career that I have adored, uh, and uh, particularly the time spent on the topic you chose for this podcast, Pamela, which is explicit instruction.
1: Oh, what a lone and varied history. And it sounds like it all just sings to your heart, Dr. Archer. Absolutely. Uh, It is the best profession that
0: all of us could be in. It makes the most difference in our world. Uh, and uh, children deserve the very best education possible. And, and all the people, the participants who are listening to this, that learning is also their dedication.
1: Oh, I agree with you 100%. Well, Dr. Archer, you've written a book focused on explicit instruction titled Explicit Instruction Effective and Efficient Teaching, along with Charles Hughes, and have also embedded explicit strategies into your intervention curriculum. I know all about that because I've taught them myself. You created curriculums such as Rewards and Rewards Plus and have modeled what explicit instruction looks like within the curriculum itself. You've also done this in classrooms and presentations, and I've seen you do that as well. Please share your definition of explicit instruction and why explicit instruction matters in education. Well, first of all, the definition is sort of hidden uh, in the book that I wrote
0: with Charles Hughes. Explicit instruction, effective and efficient teaching. Uh, But here's some words that I think really help us understand it, that it is very direct. Uh, The teacher has looked at what the students need to learn. The teacher presents it very directly to students, so it is unambiguous. In other words, the students will get it. It is not a discovery approach; uh, it is a very, very direct approach. And what does it matter? It matters because it works. There's 50 years of research on the components of explicit instruction and the overall look at explicit instruction uh, and its related instructional pedagogies, such as direct instruction and mastery learning, uh, and Uh, Consistently, the results are high for the components and the totality in terms of student learning. So it matters. It matters because it works. It matters because it makes a difference. It matters because it creates equity, opportunities for all students to learn at their
1: highest level. Oh, wonderful. I just love that definition. I've got so involved with listening. I'm taking notes, Dr. Archer. <laughs> Words like a direct and it matters. And the idea of creating equity, right? Not discovery, but giving that direct, explicit instruction so that students will understand and really get it, for lack of a better way of saying that. A beautiful summary, Pamela. <laughs> so, your book details. 16 elements of explicit instruction, according to researchers, that are then condensed into six principles of effective instruction. Give us a summary of what these are in the impact to teaching and learning. So,
0: Pamela, for you and our participants, They will recognize these um, because as a part of their teacher education, I hope that they were introduced to these very critical elements of instruction. We often divide them up into four categories. Uh, First one is the content we teach. It matters. Uh, Do we teach critical content useful in the moment and useful in the future? Uh, Do we teach content that is broken down into obtainable pieces? Now, this one is absolutely critical uh, for our students, uh, that they need to be able to be successful at each part, and so we break it down uh, so that they can gain it. So the content is critical and broken down into obtainable pieces and also sequenced in a systematic manner. And then, most of the attention of explicit instruction after the content is on design of instruction and delivery. So, what does research tell us about the design of instruction? Well, it tells us that those teachers, who I often refer to as uh, teachers with value-added, they consistently get high performance from their students, uh, that they uh, have focused and organized lessons. And embedded in those lessons, they tell students the goal of the lesson. One of the highest effect sizes in Hattie's research uh, is having the students know the goal of the lesson uh, and reiterating it throughout the lesson. And we also know that the importance of review, review of what we have learned in past lessons that is necessary for today's lessons, review of pre-skills that are needed for this lesson. Uh, And a review that is interactive, where the students have to participate, not just a recap, but they have to participate. Uh, And then we also know that uh, the lesson would include demonstration and guided practice and checking for understanding. What I have uh, taken way back when I wrote a chapter in a book in 1974, uh, took those terms which were from Madeline Hunter's work, demonstration, guided practice, checking for understanding, and called it I do, which is demonstration, we do, guided practice, checking for understanding, uh, which is you do. So those are the things that we particularly focus on in design, design of lessons uh, that teachers would do for their classroom design of curriculum materials that sequence is found uh, for example through rewards when we introduce something new uh, we use each of those steps organize and focus lessons telling the students the goal having review of what is necessary for today's lesson uh, and then i do it we do it you do it so delivery Delivery is absolutely paramount. If you want students to be engaged, you better deliver it in a way uh, that they are attentive. So you get responses from them. Uh, in fact, opportunities to respond has an effect size of recent studies of 0.79. Oh, wow. That is really, really, really critical that they say things right, things do things. And we listen to their responses. We look at their responses. We monitor them and we give them feedback, both affirmative praise as well as informative corrections, and we maintain a brisk pace. So all of us, it doesn't matter if I'm teaching kindergarten or I'm teaching high school uh, or I am teaching college, I would say uh, that I am going to get frequent responses, monitor the responses, give you feedback, and have a brisk pace. And then the last element is practice. You know, Pamela, one of the challenges we've had in American education is we kind of demified practice. Uh, we've had mottos like that's just drill and kill. I can guarantee you, we do not have any reports of a child uh, dying of more practice. <laughs> in fact, look at all the books that have been recently written about practice uh, or online sites like www.retrievalpractice.org, you should visit that talks about practice, deliberate practice. Practice that is spaced over time and practice that requires retrieval. So that is sort of a mini uh, moment uh, summarizing quite a complex body of knowledge that we have put under the brilla of explicit instruction.
1: Oh, yes. Very well said, Dr. Archer. Thank you for sharing. I've got a feeling we may be pausing and rewinding and listening to all of those details, all of our listening audience out there. Um, you, you used the term um, drill and kill, and I've heard you convert that into drill and skill. Nice, Pamela. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. That is
0: the, That is the reality that mm-hmm. students need an adequate amount of practice. You know, I'll just tell you, I recently had someone ask, after I taught in a presentation, the strategy that uh, Mary Gleason and Biggie and myself infused into rewards for reading long words,
1: yes. which is, uh,
0: if you don't know the word, the overt strategy, circle the prefix, circle the suffix, underline the vowels, say the part, say it fast, make it a real word. Uh, and uh, someone came up and said, I'm going to teach that tomorrow, as if it was a done deal tomorrow. No. Yes. yes. In reward, they have hundreds of words of practice, hundreds of words of practice in order to get automatic at looking and breaking down the word into parts using prefix, and suffix, and vowels, saying the parts and making it a real word. So we have we need to remember that if we have an intellectual skill that needs to be automatic,
1: then we need practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Yes, Yes. changing that overt skill into a covert skill, as we see in rewards. Yes. So what population of students benefit from explicit instruction? Okay, now that is probably
0: the most critical question you could have asked me, Pamela, because what I see... Uh, is that people don't really understand when explicit instruction is most needed. So let me just give you the variables from research. Uh, First of all, it's not like one population. All of us need explicit instruction under certain circumstances. And uh, if we want effective and efficient teaching, one of those circumstances is you have no background knowledge. If you don't have background knowledge, thus nothing to connect it to in permanent memory, you really profit from explicit instruction, and it doesn't matter the domain. For example, we have kindergarten teachers listening, and when they come with no letter sound associations, no background knowledge, you must teach them explicitly. We have third graders who are learning how to write a descriptive paragraph. Uh, and yet they do not know what a paragraph is or the structure of a paragraph uh, or the importance of topic and details in a paragraph. They would profit from explicit instruction. But then we pop up to high school and we're introducing the organization of the periodic chart. It's more efficient for someone to like tell you how it's organized and then have you study it so that you get it down uh, than to wait for you to discover it because you don't even know the attributes on which it could be organized. I had an experience this pandemic where uh, I was reminded about how useful it is to have explicit instruction because uh, when I turned 60, I uh, started cello lessons Uh, and I used to even travel with a cello, but it was burdensome with two suitcases and a cello. (laughs) Uh, And so I quit playing for a number of years, not a good thing, but the pandemic, I'm here at home more days than I've been home in 20 years. Uh, And so, okay, I'm going to learn cello and I'm going to get a teacher. You know, there's things that I never would have discovered uh, without a teacher. For example, uh, how to hold the bow in a most relaxed position, how to determine where you should put your bow uh, on the strings uh, and the amount of pressure I would not have known uh, the specific notes as it related to the fingerings. I needed instruction, no background knowledge. Wow. Number two. Yes. Anybody who is a novice, meaning that they are not an expert. The cognitive research shows that this people that are novices in a domain think differently than experts uh, and that if you are a novice, you need it broken down, presented systematically, uh, and uh, if it's new material in any class. So uh, a student enters and they know nothing about World War II in a social studies class. They would benefit from some very explicit background knowledge. Uh, And now here's where the company that you're connected with it makes a really big difference. And that is uh, Voyager Sopris publishes some of the very best intervention materials for students that are struggling in an area. And that is another population that really benefits from explicit instruction. They're unlikely to discover the information or they might discover it with misconceptions uh, and they need very explicit instruction. So basically, uh, it's not a population, it's the relationship of the population to the domain that you're teaching. If the students are, uh, n- have no background knowledge, explicit instruction. If they are novices, explicit instruction. If it's new material that they've never had, explicit instruction. If they have difficulty obtaining it, explicit instruction. Now, is there a place for discovery activities? As both Dylan William and his work, uh, and John Hattie concluded in his work, uh, first you teach knowledge. uh, And when the students have a bank of knowledge, then they can do problem-based instruction. uh, They can do other kinds, types of
1: discovery. But First, we have to empower them. Oh, I love that. First, we have to empower them. So every human being alive needs explicit instruction in some way, shape, or form based on these factors. No background knowledge, uh, a novice, maybe the material is new or difficult or challenging, or maybe a student has a, a particular skill deficit. Did that sum it up? That sums it up a beautiful job. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's always good to go back and recap, Dr. Archer. We're learning so much. You know, I do have another question for you. Mm -hmm. How does explicit instruction work hand in hand with structured literacy? We're hearing so much about structured literacy. How does that work hand in hand? Okay. So
0: structured literacy uh, and any of uh, you who are uh, participants, You might want to go to the International Dyslexia Association website uh, and um, they have a good primer on structured literacy. Now, here's the big difference between the umbrella of structured literacy uh, and explicit instruction. Explicit instruction is how to teach. Structured literacy is two components, what to teach uh, in the area of reading and how to teach. So it includes explicit instruction. So let's just look at structured learning because you're right, Pamela, we're hearing a lot about it. Uh, And so it is looking directly at the science of reading and what should we teach if we want students to emerge uh, as students uh, who are accurate and fluent with good comprehension. And so it includes these elements, phonology, do they hear are they able to uh, manipulate sounds within words and sound symbol relationships i mean we have a code uh, and the code requires that we know these sounds for letters or graphemes Uh, and uh, that they are able to sound out syllables and they mention closed syllables open syllables uh words that have a vowel final e-syllables, words that are our controlled syllables, words that end in L E, that they could read single syllables and uh, incorporate those into multisyllabic words and morphology, prefixes and suffixes, uh, that they would also uh introduce uh syntax and semantics, the meanings of what you've read. So they outlined the areas of instruction uh for Uh, a program for reading, which you might have noticed, Pam, since you've taught Rewards and Rewards Plus, that these are elements that are infused into our program. Most definitely. And then they look at the how. Now, the how, remember uh, when I talked about explicit instruction being content, uh, delivery, design, and practice? Well, those are the elements exactly that they include uh, under their how. So the big difference is explicit instruction tells how, and structured learning
1: tells what and how. Great. That's this wonderful answer, and it really clarified the difference between the two and um, exactly how they rely on each other. They do go hand in hand, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, to provide educators with a more explicit picture, please detail the attributes of an explicit lesson. I think we've got a bit of a clue, but I'd like you to be very precise with that, Dr. Archer. We do have a clue because
0: we have those elements uh, uh, that we listed under content delivery, design, and practice. Uh, But we often look at it this way. Uh, When we were writing the book on explicit instruction, uh, we read every article we could find about the design of individual lessons. Uh, And it was very fascinating because we found like the six-step lesson plan in one article and the 28-step lesson plan in another article. Uh, And so, but they had some consistencies. They had an opening, they had a body, and they had a closing. I will tell you, uh, when I've observed lessons, the uh, part that's most often missing is actually a closing. Uh, Many... Just sort of end their lesson with, "Ah, put your materials away, line up, we're out of here. And charging (laughs) the door is not a closing. So in the opening, though, we broke it down this way to make it memorable. Attention, review, preview. Attention, review, preview. So I get your attention. I do a review of critical aspects necessary for today's lesson. And I uh, have a preview which tells you the goal that we are aimed at for learning in this lesson. Attention, review, preview. And then in the body of the lesson, that's where uh, the parts of I do it, we do it, you do it become evident. Now they may not be in the body of every lesson because if it's really complex, that's gonna be spread out over time. I might demonstrate, uh, a strategy uh, and provide some, we do it. And then the next day go to, we do it and gradually fade it. And the next day, even more faded, we do it before a few do it. So the body differs by domain and it differs by where are we in that cycle of teaching. And then we have closure. Oh, please add even just a few minutes of formal closure to a lesson. More learning occurs, more appropriate behavior occurs. Uh, And so we identified it as these steps, review, preview, independent work. Review, preview, independent work. Uh, And so we review the big ideas of this lesson in short form, but interactively getting responses from the students. Uh, And then we have a preview. What are we gonna do tomorrow? Kids like to know that we have thoughtfulness. Uh, So what are we doing tomorrow? And then assigning them independent work. So that's, and you know, if we followed that, think of how much learning we would have in our country and other countries and our schools, other schools, uh, uh, opening, body, close, uh, review, attention, review, preview, closing. Review, preview, independent work.
1: Yes. Yes. What valuable information. That, that consistency for students. Because here, the, these attributes just detail a structure um, for when you build in that teaching and learning, that Archer. That's mm-hmm. what's more, most amazing here. You know, yes. we've got that structure that makes sense for students. But, you know, you just pointed out all of
0: this has to do with sort of the biggest idea of my career is how well you teach equals how well they learn. And it is that uh, teaching learning connection that everything we do is attached to. So the design of our lessons, the big uh, elements of explicit instruction, all of that gain. What can we do in teaching that is likely to most effectively and efficiently bring about learning?
1: Right. And that learning will lead to independent practice, right? Which includes our next question here, Dr. Archer. How do we support students as they transition from that explicit instruction to that independent practice? So this goes for uh, anything that I would teach you. But let's
0: just take the example of the reward strategy in rewards. It teaches students an overt strategy for figuring out the pronunciation of words. Uh, And the steps in the strategy are look at the word, circle the prefix, circle the suffix, underline the vowels. That puts the word into decodable chunks. Then say the parts of the word, say the whole word, make it a real word. Now here's what we would do with that strategy because you're really talking here about gradual release of responsibility, right, Pam? Yes. Okay. So first of all, we'd look at that and say, wow, there are a lot of pre-skills that are needed for that strategy. You have to know to identify and pronounce prefixes. You have to know and pronounce suffixes. You have to know what letters represent vowel sounds and be able to pronounce them accurately. So, Uh, In rewards, we had to teach many lessons to get the pre-skills in place before we introduced the strategy. And then we used, I do it, meaning that um, I do it, we do it, you do it. So we first modeled it. Uh, And so just picture in front of you the word prevention. Uh, And so I say to the students, my turn to show you the strategy. First, I circle the prefix. So I'm going to pick up my pen and do it as we talk. Uh, I circle pre. Uh, Next, I circle the suffix. And the suffix is shun. Yes. Next, I underline the vowel sound, which is eh. Next, we say the parts in the word and I loop under the parts and they say prevention. Next we say the whole word and make it a real word, prevention. So I am modeling it for them. But uh, obviously, we would need to have that gradual release of responsibility. So then we would need to guided practice. So I want you, on your paper in front of you, Pamela, to write down unpredictable. Now, I never would say the word first when I'm teaching kids, because why figure it out if you've already said it? Yes.
1: Uh, Why would you write it down?
0: Yes, I've got it. Who's listening? You can do this too. Okay. So, um, Pam, first we circle the prefixes. Does this word have a prefix? Yes. Yes. And the prefix is? Un. un Circle it. Does it have another prefix? Yes. And that prefix is? Pre. Circle it. Does the word have a suffix? Yes. And that suffix is? A-B-L-E. A-B-L-E. And you pronounce it a bull. Say it three times. A bull. A bull. a bull. a bull. A bull. Excellent job. Next, we underline the vowel sounds and underline the letter I. What sound? I. Excellent. Now let's say the parts. Go back to the beginning and the teacher would loop under it. And first part? on. Next part? Pre. Next part? Predict. Next part. A bow. Good. Say the whole word. Predictable. Excellent. So here I'm setting her up for success. I'm not going from I modeled it once. Now you do it. No. Uh, this is heavily guided. Uh, and then we want to fade some more. You know, this is really. I'm so glad you asked this question because people really need a concrete example for uh, gradual release of responsibility. So we would go to ones where uh, the students would have to figure it out. Uh, But uh, so we would say, uh, here's the next word. And on my sheet, I have refreshments. But of course, I wouldn't say the word again. I would say, now it's your turn to figure this out. So I want you to circle the prefixes, circle the suffixes, and underline the vowel. So the students would, on their own, circle re, circle uh, S and mint, and underline the letter E in refreshments. And then I would say, now, I would give them feedback, they'd see what was circled, and i say, now, let's read it by part. So again, uh, I would uh, loop under the words and say, what part re, what part fresh, what part mint, what part mints. And the word is refreshments. But you see, I shifted some of the responsibility to the students. Now, they had to circle and underline. But I'm still guiding them by looping through the word. And with that, um, then we could even fade it more. Okay. You see that this is really important with students with difficulties that I'm doing this very systematically over many days. Uh, and then we would uh, have the least amount of assistance, just a hint to them. So I want you to look at this word and look for the prefixes, look for the suffixes in the vowel and figure out the word. And so time, just a reminder, a reminder. Yeah, this reminder this time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they figure it out. They put their thumb up to indicate they have it. They whisper to their partner and they say, reorganize. And then we get to the point where it's a you do it. Uh, And look at the word. The word I have in front of me is dissatisfaction. Look at the word. uh, Figure out how to say it. Put your thumb up when you're done. Whisper to your partner. Now say it dissatisfaction. But that's not enough, too. We got to go further because they can now read words uh, that are in a list, but. Now we go to the total application. That's where your question came in, uh, where they would read uh, multisyllabic words. Uh, and, you know, a word like dissatisfaction, and that's a major accomplishment. Uh, and yes. it would be embedded within sentences or within passages. But notice how systematic this is over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the kids being successful with the pre-sales, successful when I modeled it, with I do it, successful with uh, really heavy, um, supported, uh, we do it, gradually faded out to you do it and then applied. Boy, that is the kind of path we need often, like writing a paragraph, a path like that would be excellent for that, uh, or many things
1: that are complex. Gradual release of responsibility
0: to the students.
1: Gradual release of responsibility. I just love it. You know, quite often we think about the end goal and rush to that end goal. And then students struggle. This is just a perfect example or a model of what we should do when we are introducing those complex skills for students. And we expecting them to be independent from the get-go. And that might not be where students are. You know, sometimes we commit something I call a suicide. Right. Yes. A term yes. I often use where we just mm-hmm. assume too much. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But, you know, it
0: also goes with the uh, recent research done in cognitive science about motivation. We used to think that we needed some exciting activity to capture the student's motivation. And yet, when it's been examined carefully, it appears that success is the precursor to motivation. Mm-hmm. That I have to be set up for success, And then I also have to see the value of what we're doing, and that leads me to putting more effort into it, more time into it, uh, more attention to it, uh, more engagement to it, uh, And it is, and thus motivation. So we used to think that motivation came first. We now know that success, and you're understanding the value of something leads to motivation. So you can see that those step-by-step steps that we went through set you up for success and more success and more success and more success. You can say it. And then you're just like thrilled when you can read dissatisfaction. And probably you actually have satisfaction.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Success builds success, right? And right. So you're also building stamina and you're building skills. Well,
0: you know, for example, reading long words, requires if you're going to read for good comprehension, requires automaticity. Yes, so that you get to the point where uh, yes, you could apply that strategy to unfamiliar words, but now you have more and more words that uh, are ones that you recognize immediately as sight words, uh, which is the foundation for fluency. Yes. so it is automaticity that uh, for so many foundation skills that we're looking for.
1: Thank you, Dr. Archer. That was a very good detailed response to that question. Uh, I have another one for you. Uh, This one should be fun. You know, we're nearing the end of our podcast. I'd like for you to provide us with a brief oral model of what explicit instruction sounds like. You know, please engage with me using the word engage. I'll be your student and I will just respond based on this interaction. So, Pam, it was sweet of you to send me that
0: one question, at the end, because you actually asked me to teach the word engagement. Yes, I did. Uh, and um, so the first thing, uh, you know, this is the thing about explicit instruction. It requires thinking, planning and organizing. Uh, and so uh, I had to think about this. Uh, we can't just hip pocket in good instruction. Uh, it really requires uh, very careful being organized and focused uh, as one of the attributes of explicit instruction. So I looked at this and said, engagement, all right. Engagement has a family of words. Um, Engage as a verb, engaged as a verb, engaging as an adjective, engaged as an adjective, and engagement, a noun. Uh, And so one of the things I always tell teachers is, Uh, Pick either the easiest member of the family of words to teach, or, for example, one day I was to teach second graders the word piteously. uh, And that's almost, that's very difficult to teach. But what I need to teach is the word pity. Uh, And so I said, okay, either teach the easiest or uh, teach the base word. And so if I was teaching this to you, I would teach engaged. Now, engage actually, like many words in English, has many meanings. So I'm going to just teach you one meaning. But uh, explicit instruction also requires that teachers um, adopt uh, routines, instructional routines, so that uh, when you're introducing items, that you have the steps in mind that you're going to use for it. And so when we teach vocabulary, we have a routine uh, where we introduce the pronunciation, we introduce the meaning, we illustrate it with examples, and check for understanding. So I had fun with this because uh, really, literally last night, uh, I said, okay, how could we make this a great conclusion to this podcast and at the same time illustrate these points? Yes. All right. So you are my student. Yes. Okay? Uh, and so, Pam, the word that we're learning today, and I would show it visually, is the word engage. What word? Engage. Put your hand on your table. And we're going to tap out the parts in engage. Uh, say it as we tap. First part. In- and. And. Engage. Engage. Right. Engage is a verb, an action. Uh, and if it is uh, happening right now, we engage you. If it was in the past, I engaged you. Engaged. Say the past tense word. Engaged. Excellent. So what does engage mean? Well, here is it broken down. Engage means to catch and keep someone's interest and attention. To catch and keep someone's interest and attention. Can you say that with me? They would be reading it on the screen. To catch, to catch and, and keep, to keep, keep someone's, someone's interest, interest and and attention and attention, right? So when I engage you, Pam, I capture your attention and your interest and your yes. what? In my interest and your interest. So when I engage you, I capture your uh, attention, attention, and your interest. Excellent job. So, I introduce the meaning of the word uh, and then I illustrate it with some examples. Now, here comes the quick review of everything we've covered. So, Pam, uh, I engage you in a lesson by uh, teaching critical content explicitly, by providing clear demonstrations and explanations, by guiding your initial attempts. Notice I'm just throwing in here a little review of explicit instruction. Uh, I request frequent responses. I use a brisk pace. I provide affirmative and informative feedback, ensuring that you experience success. And I engage you by maintaining a positive teacher-student relationship. I engage you by being kind, being kind, being kind. That's sort of a summary of how I engage you in explicit instruction. So then I want to ask questions to check your understanding. Uh, And so remember, to engage is to catch and keep someone's interest and attention. I might ask a question like, what is one thing you can do to engage students in a lesson? And I always supply students uh, with a sentence stem so that they'll use the word engage and have a complete sentence. So listen carefully. One thing I can do to engage students in a lesson is to... Now, I want you to say that to yourself, participants. We're going to give you a moment before I have Pam think of one thing I can do to engage students in a lesson is to. Okay, Pamela, starting with one thing I can do to engage students in a lesson is to.
1: One thing I can do to engage students in a lesson is to request a choral response excellent job. Uh, Getting many
0: responses would make a huge difference. So I introduced the pronunciation of the word, introduced the meaning. I gave you lots of examples, a little bit artificial because I just wanted a chance to review what we covered in this podcast. Uh, And then I asked questions to check your understanding. But in this case, the word you sent me was uh, engagement. So then uh, One of the fastest ways to expand vocabulary is to introduce the relatives of the word, which we do in all the programs I've written. So I put up on the screen, engage, engaged, engaging, uh, engaged as an adjective, engagement as a noun, and then introduce it uh, uh, in a paragraph. And so you don't see it, but it's in front of me. Ms. Smith uses the tools of explicit instruction to engage her students. Because of the brisk pace, the students are engaged. The engaging activities and active participation maintain their attention. The outcome of engagement is learning. Let me repeat that last sentence because that's sort of the message of this podcast. The outcome of engagement is learning. The outcome of explicit instruction is learning. Mm -hmm. All right, so thank you for sending me that question because again, you made me think uh, and how would we put this into what
1: we know about explicit instruction? Perfectly done. Thank you so much for that example, that model, Dr. Archer, really appreciate that. Uh, You made it lively and interactive and I have to tell you, I was 100% engaged. (laughs) Thank you, Pam. Finally, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything in the world of education, what would you change and why? Wow. Can I have more than one magic wand? (laughs) Oh, well, you know what? I will give you free license. Okay. First, magic wand
0: on our students. May students present and in the future be taught so well that they are able to achieve at their highest ability level. And on teachers who I adore, I have been blessed to work with teachers all these years. uh, May you have the best knowledge about the science of reading if you teach it, uh, the science of writing if you teach it, the science of instruction and specifically explicit instruction. So that every day you get the joy of students learning, and you see their growth, which is the best, the best payment for being a great teacher. And I'm going to wave a big, big uh, wish on our uh, administrators. May you be first and foremost instructional leaders. There's so much you have to do in the school, but. What makes the difference is the quality of instruction. And then I'm going to wave across the United States over our colleges of education. May you teach teachers who teach children what they need to know to be a very effective teacher. And may you teach them uh, what they need to know so that they are a very effective manager. And may you teach these to a level of automaticity so that when a new teacher enters a classroom, they know how to teach and how to manage to the benefit of all of the children. This is, if we look at what are we going to do about equity across groups in our country, it is the quality of education and it starts with the College of Education.
1: Wow. The quality of education, teaching and learning is what it boils down to, isn't it, Dr. Archer? It is absolutely uh, not that it's
0: easy. It's hard work, but it's rewarding work. It is hard work, but children profit from it. You know, we forget that we have such an influence on their whole entire life by
1: how well we teach equals how well they learn. Yes. Yes, so thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Archer. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you, how they can follow you on social media as well. You know... First of all, I have to confess, I'm not a big social media person.
0: (laughs) I have so much in my life, so many things to do that I would never be uh, checking that out. But you could watch me teach children uh, at the website of explicitinstruction.org. And uh, that is the best I can offer. Except if you go on YouTube, you're going to find many, many webinars Uh, ones that I've done for uh, Voyager Sopris, uh, but also many other agencies uh, that would add to what we've covered in this podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Archer. This is Pam Austin, bringing the best thought leaders in education directly to you. This has been an EdView 360 podcast produced by Voyager Sopris Learning. For additional thought-provoking discussions, sign up for our blog, webinar, and podcast series at VoyagersSopris.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and to help other people like you find our show. Thank you.